0: Well, I wonder whether um, Christmas was good. I think it's still okay uh, to say for the whole of January, Happy New Year, as Josh did. I'm going to keep saying it anyway, so Happy New Year, uh, and I hope you had a great Christmas. But I wonder if you got uh, the presents, the gifts, that you hoped for this Christmas. Why don't we just spend a moment bringing to mind, thinking of some of the gifts that we've been given, maybe from a family member, a friend, or so on. And did that person know you well? Did they get the right gift for you? Maybe you want to turn to the person next to you or just bring to mind, think about it. But just talk about a gift, a certain present that you got and you received. You're like, that person knew me well. They absolutely nailed it. They smashed it with that gift because they know me. Have a little think. Have a little chat. Chat amongst yourselves. What did you get? Did Santa do you proud? Did your friends do you proud? Did family members do you proud? Maybe you're wearing the present. Maybe you're wearing it. Okay, we're going we're gonna to bring it back in, we're going to bring it back in. A lot of people sort of flicking their hair, got a haircut for Christmas. A lot of people sort of pulling on their, their clothes, got a new jumper, got a new jumper for Christmas. we got some great gifts, I'm sure. But I remember a time where I didn't quite get it right. I thought that I knew um, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Katie, and I remember buying a Christmas present for her and I thought I'd absolutely nailed it. I thought this one is absolutely brilliant. I was so confident in my purchase that it was the first Christmas that I was having with her family and we were all around, and I'd said, can I actually reserve my present for the very end? So can she open all her presents, but my present has to be the last one. Uh, and I want to kind of drumroll on the knees as she opens it and it's gonna be a big thing. You know, I'll get a lamp in, a desk lamp, we'll do a spotlight on it. I didn't do that. But we'll just kind of build it up, and it's going to be absolutely awesome. She's going to open the present. She's going to know how much I love her. She's going to know exactly that I know her well. This is going to be the perfect gift. So I kind of uh, built it as a a great thing. I'd spoke to her parents. They agreed, stupidly probably, to say, okay, you can uh, be the last one to uh, open the present, blah, blah, blah. So Katie went through all the presents, and she got some good presents. But the grand finale was mine. She was waiting to open my. It was quite big to be honest. It was quite a big box. I don't know why it was in such a big box. Maybe I put it in a bigger box itself and wrapped it. And it was there, right in the middle of the room. And the suspension, the tension was there. It was, oh my gosh, what has Paul got? Like, it's kind of first Christmas with his boyfriend and girlfriend, you know. I've got to get it right. This is going to be good. This is going to prove to her how much I know her. And I remember Katie peeling the wrapping paper off. My heart's kind of pounding. I'm kind of looking. I was like, guys, you're you're, going to be impressed. This is going to be great. And she pulled the wrapping paper off. And she looked, and she was like, what is it? I was like, Oh. Well, um, and then I begin to explain what it is and kind of like describe. And I realize, oh my gosh, I haven't really done my research. This isn't going down well at all. This is a bit of a flop. This is a bit of a lead balloon. And I was trying to sell it to her. It's really great. It's really this. And the parents are going, oh, this is painful. And they're kind of like trying to stroke me and comfort me and so on. And bless her, Katie did a great job of trying to be nice and and, and pleasant and polite and stuff. But she did ask me if I still had the receipt, (laughs) which I did. And it did go back. I didn't get it right at all. I didn't yet fully know Katie. I didn't really kind of pitch it right. I didn't do my research. I hadn't given her the gift that I knew she would have liked because I didn't really know her. In the passage that we've just read, we see three people who know exactly what gift to bring Jesus. They know exactly the right gift to bring They know what the gifts mean. They know what they symbolize. They know who they're taking the present to. They know what it's going to speak about. And they bring their gifts to Jesus. I'm talking about the Magi. The Magi were not just some clever magicians who kind of spent their time staring at at space and at stars, they were trusted people in the community, highly respected members. Of the community they were wise men they were intelligent they were switched on they were well read they studied the stars these guys knew what they were doing they weren't kind of people that were out there and a bit like oh don't go near them guys they're going on a big old journey following a star these guys would have been trusted people in the community and they make the journey they make the journey to jesus and each gift that they bring is a statement about who Jesus is. Each gift is symbolic. Each gift is, is um, absolutely intentionally. And, and it's supposed to be um, a picture of, of what Jesus is about and who he is. It would have symbolized so many things for people. So let's look at it. Let's look at the passage in Matthew 2. We see that in verse 2, the Magi travel. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Uh, during the time of King Herod. Now, King Herod wasn't a great king. He was called the puppet king. He was controlled. He was ruled. He wasn't a great king. He was actually an insecure king. Herod wasn't a great ruler. The Magi travel. They came from Jerusalem. And they come and they're saying, where is this king going to be born? People are asking about it. People are speculating about it. And this is what they say. They say that they have come to worship. Jesus so these people have made that journey specifically to worship Jesus how far did you travel tonight to worship Jesus maybe it was a 30 minute bus ride maybe it was a 10 minute walk maybe you couldn't find a parking space what was your journey tonight to come to worship Jesus these magi made this journey because they knew who Jesus was they knew how important Jesus was they knew who is the King of kings, Lord of lords. He was prophesied years before he was even born. They were making the journey to the King of kings. They made the journey. I wonder how much of a journey we make each day in our hearts. And the challenge for me is, do I make a journey to get to Jesus each day? Do I seek Jesus out like the Magi did? Do I find space and time and prioritize when I look at my week ahead? Do I put things that are just not going to move in there and say, that's the time I'm seeking Jesus. That's the time I'm following Jesus. That's the time my heart is set on a course to pursue Jesus. I wonder how much effort and energy we put into pursuing Jesus, to seeking him out, to searching him, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. To we search him with our whole heart? Well, verse 3 back in our text says that King Herod was disturbed when he heard that people had come to worship Jesus. He was disturbed and actually the whole of Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem with him were disturbed. Why were they disturbed at that? Why were they bothered that these people had come to worship a newborn king? Well, because Herod was king. Herod was the ruler. And hang on a second, wise is People who have got a high status, wise, trusted people in a community have made a journey to come and what? To come and worship a king. I'm the king. And we know that there can't be two kings. There can't be two kings. It's similar, you know, we have um, Herod here really feeling insecure. He's feeling like, I'm the king. Somebody else is coming not to worship me, but to worship somebody else. Like, who is this Jesus? Where is his authority coming from? Why are they worshiping him? Who is Jesus? I don't know if um, you ever experience this, but sometimes in a new job or in a new year or when you go back to university, whatever, new people arrive, and sometimes we can feel a bit insecure. Sometimes we can feel a bit like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of top dog. I'm the funny one. Like, they're not the funny one. Like, like who, who are they to kind of come in? And, and sometimes we feel wobbled. Sometimes we feel insecure. And we don't want people to come in and kind of rock the boat a bit of what we've made and, and, and what's really nice. King Herod's insecure. He's fearing what's going to happen. It's a kingly thing. It's a kingly thing. He doesn't want anybody else with any other authority that is likened to him or, or would even threaten or challenge him. So he calls them together, he talks to them, and he says, you know, what's going on? Where is Jesus going to be born? They talk to him, um, and and they say that they've come, that they're going to worship him. They're they're, they're speaking about Jesus and how great he's going to be. And Herod is getting more and more insecure. And at this point, Herod has heard enough. He said, okay, I've I've heard enough. So he meets with these guys secretly. He does it on the sly. He takes them to one side, and out of insecurity, he, he forms a plan. He forms this plan. I wonder if um, we find ourselves in situations where we're unsure of what's going on, maybe of, of new people or a new situation, and to protect ourselves, we form a plan. We form a plan, and we get others involved in it too. We, we say, well, you know... Do, can you just kind of come to the side? like Let's just, just, we just, just come into this room just for a second. I just want to inquire about this. Uh, I, I'm just a little bit worried about this. And the kind of the whole invisible army coming. It's like quite a few people are concerned, but it's actually just you. Uh, and we feel insecure about a situation or about a person. So we form this secret little meeting, a little plot, a little ploy. He gets them together and he kind of forms this little plan. He says, will you just go? Will you report to me? Like, just come, come, come to me. Come to me. T- tell me the information about what's happening. Why is he asking him to do that? Well, the reason he said was so that he could worship Jesus too. Like, it's all lies. He's just lying. He's insecure. He doesn't want Jesus to be worshipped. He doesn't want his status to be rocked or challenged. And he's starting to lie. And he's saying, I'll worship him too if you just tell me. Just give me the information. Now these um, wise men, they're really good godly men. They're godly men who would just set their heart to follow him, to pursue Jesus. They're going after Jesus. They love God. They love Jesus. They love the fact that Jesus has been born. They've come to celebrate. They're godly men. And I wonder if they could have even sniffed this out. They could have got a sense, actually, this isn't right. You'll believe that. God has placed us in different work contexts and in different places. And he gives us um, just uh, his presence and his spirit. And he can quicken our spirit, quicken our conscience. He can bring us to a place where you say, something's not quite right. And God asks us to speak creatively in that situation. Not to go with the crowd, not to collude with corruption or collude with what's going on out of fear or trying to please people. But actually, we're being asked to say, no, that's not right. I know, that, I know that maybe you're kind of um, a bit further down the line than me, but, but I just get a sense that's just not right. And with all integrity, I'm not going to follow that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stand up and do what is right. I'm going to do the right thing. So they heard Herod, they heard him out, and they went on their way. I wonder, at that point, did the wise men make this journey? And they're like, wow, what was that about? Like that little secret meeting thing. Like, what was that? Like, Herod was pretty, like, he he was like, he had a mission, didn't he? Like, I wonder what's going on there. Well, you know, and they kind of have this conversation. They're trying to process what has gone on, what they've been asked to do. I wonder what that journey was like. Then verse 10, we see that they saw the star, and they were overjoyed. Like, this is it. This is what we've hoped for. This is what we've been journeying for. The star is in place. It's over the place where we've come to worship. They were filled with joy. It was all coming together. Then they come. They bowed down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. As I said earlier, these gifts were describing who Jesus is, what Jesus was about. And the people would have seen these gifts and be like, ah, I know why you brought that. That's amazing. That's great. Oh, I get it. I understand what that gift is. That is wonderful. That is amazing. So let's have a little look at these gifts. Let's look at gold to begin with. We see that gold represented kingship. It was about this baby being born, and he's a royal baby. He's a king. He is king. He's king of kings. The gold represented kingship. The frankincense was a symbol of a priestly identity. The incense that would have been familiar to them. Priests would have used in worship. He's a priest. He's our priest. He's our high priest. He's our one true priest. And myrrh was used uh, to wrap the bodies and, and to put over the bodies on the cloths. Uh, it's a symbol of Jesus' death. They were saying, You're a king, you're a priest, and you're going to die for the sins of the world. The symbols, the gifts spoke of Jesus. Unlike my gift that I got quite badly wrong um, at Christmas, these guys nailed it. They absolutely smashed it. They're saying, this is who you are, and this is what we bring, and this is what you're going to do, and you're worth every single gift because you're a good, good God. Mary, Joseph, the people around would have totally understood what them gifts were. They were like, oh my gosh, you guys, you know it. You get it. For some of us here, like, you might be on this journey. You're like, I don't really know who Jesus is. We've kind of sung a few songs, but, and they're quite nice. But, like, that's not, I'm not there. I can't sing a song because I don't know that you're good. For some of us, we may have been singing them songs for years and it just become a bit like lip service. My prayer is that this year that we see who Jesus is and we bring him everything that we have. We bring him our time, our effort, our money, our relationships. We lay them down at his feet. And each gift that we do speaks about what we understand about Jesus. God, I'm giving you laying down my finances because I trust you. Because I don't want it to be any other God than you. We can't have two kings. God, I'm giving you my relationships because I trust you. Because I believe that you know best. I believe that you want the best for me. I'm laying them down. I don't want to put anybody else above you. Jesus, you're the king laying down my time. I'm bringing you the gift of time because, God, you give me the very breath that I breathe. I'm giving you my time because my time on this earth is for you. I'm giving you my gift of time. We bring what we bring to Jesus. So while the Magi were there, they worshipped him. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know whether they got instruments out and sang songs. Probably not. But they worshipped him. They spoke good things over him. They praised him. They had conversations about him. This is the promised one. They spent time in his presence. Quick question then. When was the last time, apart from a Sunday, that you gathered around Jesus and worshipped him? Spent time in his presence? It's my challenge this year just to spend more time in his presence. Spend more time gathered around Jesus just in his presence, just being with him, worshipping him. My wife, Katie, um, she's inhaling books at the moment. She's reading this book by John Mark Cormer. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's an awesome book. Uh, And and she's talking to me about some of the things that she's reading. She said this amazing quote. And she was saying that uh, in one of the books, Henri Nguyen, was, was talking about when somebody approached Mother Teresa and he said to Mother Teresa, like, you're such an amazing person. You do such, so many amazing things. You live such an amazing life. Tell me, what are some of the secrets of the life that you lead? And Mother Teresa said this, Spend one hour a day adoring your Lord. And never do anything which you know is wrong. One hour in the presence. Always do what is right. The Magi spent more than an hour in his presence. They did what was right. They did what was right. They knew who Jesus was. They didn't allow their integrity to be threatened or to be compromised. They spent time in His presence. John Mark Cormer is a is a, a church leader in Portland. Uh, he's an amazing guy, amazing family actually, and uh, he was leading a number of churches at one time. And he's just like, this is too busy. This is too much. I can't do this. He talks about traveling home from one of the church services in the evening with his head against uh, an Uber, a taxi window. There's other taxis available, other companies, obviously. But he has his head against the Uber window, and he's just like, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. So he actually delegated and handed over some of them churches, some of them congregations, some of them services. He stripped it right back. And he talks about the Sabbath, and every Friday night, when when it gets dark, what they do is they get all their devices, all their iPhones, all their iPads, their laptops, whatever, they switch them off, they put it in a box, and they put them away. They put them away on Friday night all the way through to Saturday night. They light a candle. They spend time in the presence of God. They spend time with each other, this kind of long-forgotten gift of, of, of the Sabbath, of just slowing down, of just spending time in the presence of God. Listen to some of the repercussions of of when we we don't do that. When we don't practice being in the presence of God, we feel distant from God. We end up living off somebody else's spirituality, maybe via a podcast feed or a book, a one-page devotional that we read before rushing out the door. Sometimes we can find ourselves feeling distant from ourselves. We can feel levels of anxiety, We can feel exhausted. We can feel that we go to other choices of escape. We run out of energy to do the things that actually give us life. When we don't spend time in the presence of God, hearing who we are and whose we are, that God the Father knows us and sees us and likes us and loves us. And when we stop being fueled by God, we go to other things. We can find ourselves binging on on box sets and so on. None of that's bad. But just in in moderation, in the sense of when it's feeding something that should be coming from God. We get a cheap fix, another glass of wine, a new show streaming online or social media feeds or porn. Our emotional unhealth can set in and we start living from the surface of our lives and not from the core. When you spend time in the presence of God, you understand who we are, what we're living for, who God is, why we're here, and we live out. A different way we live from a different way from a different point sorry in the father's love our ears are open to his voice and it cuts through all the other voices all the other voices slowly fading away spending time in his presence when we slow down and we breathe and we come back to being in the presence of the father my challenge, my encouragement would be this year just to eliminate hurry, just to be in a position where we can spend the time around God, listening, worshipping, being with him in the presence of God, giving him all our gifts and failures and insecurities and everything else, just pouring our time out, pouring out our praise upon God. Let me finish then finally just with the latter part, the last part of what happened in this passage. So the Magi, um, they've heard from Herod. They've been told to report back. They've heard the lies, but they're warned in a dream. So in the text, we see that they're warned in a dream not to go to Herod, not to report back, not to go back and tell Herod where Jesus was. Imagine if they did know what would happen if they did but they chose not to they chose to listen to the dream the warning dream that they had from God like all dreams that we have they're not all prophetic I have a friend who writes down all his dreams and he numbers them and he goes back over them and some of them's just too many glasses of wine or the cheese that he had the night before but some of them are really prophetic Some of them are significant dreams. Some of them are warning dreams. Some of them are dreams of things that he needs to take care of or attend to in his life. And I think it's true to say that God does speak in dreams and through dreams. He's done it all through Scripture. If you think back to the Old Testament, dreams were significant and important. Massive weight was put on dreams. Think about Joseph who interpreted dreams and dreamt dreams. These guys are dreaming dreams. They've been warned in a dream. Now, dreams like this don't happen that often. I've had, I've had a few in my life, not that many. But let me tell you about just one that connects to another. And when I was thinking about being uh, trained as a vicar, being training for ordination, I was in a real difficult situation of knowing where to train. And I was like, Lord, I, I don't know where to go. I'd been to one Bible college and I'd met with the the principal and I'd had a conversation and so on. And it didn't go that well, but it was all right and it had lots of wins and and, and strengths to it. There was another couple of other ones that I was thinking about and praying about. But I really didn't know. I really didn't know. And then when I had to decide about it and pull the sort of uh, trigger on the decision, I had a dream. And in my dream, I was driving a car. And in the, in, in the front seat was the principal of this specific Bible college that I was considering going to. And Katie was in the back. And he wasn't interested in Katie. He was interested in our conversation. But he actually wasn't interested in my conversation or my words. He wanted to just tell me certain things and, and we drove around the country and, and in the dream he was telling me things about different churches and, and what they're doing wrong and what not they're doing right and, and so on. And I just in the dream was getting more and more frustrated and wound up and I just wanted the guy to get out of the car. I was like, I want this journey to end. I can't be in this car any longer. I need to drop you off and say goodbye. Like, you're a great guy, and I believe you're called to do that, but that's not going to work for me. That, the, how God's created me, how I am, that's just not going to be compatible with it. That just doesn't seem right. And in the dream, I dropped him off. He got out, and I said goodbye. I then woke up. The first person to call me was my mum, and my mum was saying, All oh, last night, And this morning, I was praying that God would speak to you in a dream about where to go and where not to go to Bible college. Didn't go to the Bible college, obviously. (laughs) Listened to the dream. Uh, And there's confirmation. And I think it's important when we have a dream like that, that there's other people that can confirm it. People who we trust, people who we love, people who are wise, people who have have done life. I decided to go to a different Bible college and stayed in London. And it was perfect for me. It was a really good fit. I could work at a church and I could study at the same time. And Kate and I helped plant a church in London. And God gave me a dream about this red carpet being rolled out of the church, down the steps, onto the street and into King's Cross. And people from every walk of life walking on the carpet and making the carpet dirty. Praise God. Amen, getting the carpet dirty. And as they walk in, people, prostitutes, drug dealers, recovering alcoholics, policemen, lawyers, doctors, artists, musicians, people from all walks of life walking on this red carpet and finding home. In February, uh, we'll celebrate the 10th year anniversary of the church plant. And I remember leaving um, the church at the, the, one of the final services that were there. I remember leading the service. And this dream that I had of prostitutes, doctors, lawyers, musicians, all coming in and finding home. I remember looking out, and, and as I faced the congregation, that whole section was filled with prostitutes. They all wanted to be in church. They all wanted a Bible. They all wanted to know Jesus. And I'm so glad I listened to them dreams. I'm so glad my mom was praying for me. I'm so glad I listened to the dreams, and I gave weight to the dreams, like the mage I did. Don't go back to Herod. Go a different route. Go a different route. You know, I believe that God is gonna speak to us this year. He's gonna give us dreams and visions and words and pictures, and it's gonna be rooted in scripture, and it's gonna be confirmed and confirmed again. But it's gonna be a great year. It's gonna be a great year. The stuff for last year was for last year. This is for this year. God's got good stuff, but he wants us to make the journey. He wants us to gather around him, spend time in his presence, Hear his voice and do the right thing. Spend time with God in his presence and do the right thing.